My name is Shubh Saran, and this is a podcast series where I explore the life of musicians on and off stage. I'm making this series to ask what it means to be a musician today in the hopes that I can better understand what we do and why we choose to do it. The audio that you hear are clips of short synth experiments I was posting on my Instagram stories in the fall of 2020. I didn't know at the time, but what I was doing was documenting the process of me learning how to use my synthesizer setup. I was figuring out how to send MIDI clock information from my computer to my Korg Vocal Keys synthesizer and then syncing that with my Korg MS-20 synthesizer. The Instagram stories would last between 15 to 30 seconds, but I'd spend hours a day getting lost and experimenting with these analog instruments. It was as if a whole new world of sound had opened up to me, a sound that I'd always loved but never really knew how to access properly. I wasn't sure how deep the rabbit hole went with my little setup, but what I did know was that I was very much scratching the surface of what was possible. At the same time, I was in the middle of writing music for what ended up becoming my latest album, English. So the synth experiments were happening off to the side, maybe for another project under a different name. In my usual writing process, I had been playing around with this guitar riff that I captured in a voice note from July 2020, helplessly trying to figure out how to use this idea in a song. It was a pretty busy part that wasn't particularly comfortable for me to play on the guitar. But I couldn't just let the idea go. For so long, I had let my guitar playing guide the songwriting process first, then bringing in post-production elements like synthesizers later on to enhance what had already been composed. I was always afraid of writing something that I loved, but that I wouldn't be able to translate live with my band at our next show. Sitting alone in my room in the summer of 2020, however, with no live shows, and no live band, I decided to try something different. It wasn't until I flipped the script, reversed the composing process, and let my synth experiments do the writing for me that I was finally able to transform this idea into a song. Today, we're gonna be talking about flipping the script while breaking down my song and culture. Starting with the guitar part from the voice note, I decided to move that part onto my vocal keys synth, and immediately realized that the part I had written on guitar was always meant to be played on an instrument like this. It was a sort of loop that felt like it could go on forever, but beyond that, I couldn't really hear any of the other parts it needed. I kept trying to come up with a drum groove over this seemingly easy phrase that actually alternates between a few different time signatures. Nothing I programmed seemed to work well enough, and everything I wrote sounded like I was playing catch-up with the odd meter phrases. Giving up on that, and tired of all the writer's block, I turned my attention back to the semi-modular synth experiments that I had been doing. I created a sequence for the Volca keys, programming notes that would work in the key of my riff, but the order of the notes, the cycle length, and the modulation was pretty much random. Thank you. 
I sent sync information out to my other synthesizer and sort of did the same thing there, messing with knobs and filter settings in real time as the track recorded. The final result is the groove of the whole song, created for me by all the instruments in my room working together in a series of small but very happy accidents. With the synth part combined with my original guitar part, the song finally came to life. The randomness of the sequence was full of potential ideas that started to jump out at me right away. From not being able to hear any of the surrounding parts outside of the main riff, I was now able to hear exactly what I wanted the song to sound like. The little clicks and pops from the sequence started to sound like drum hits, and the low growling subdivided stuff became the bass guitar part. It was just a matter of adding the rest of the percussion parts based off rhythms inspired by the sequence. With all these elements in place, the song form started to take shape, including this little break in the song that only happened because that's where the sequence decided to do something interesting. I had let the combination of internal synth components, random filter settings, and my overly complicated odd meter metronome map in Logic create the song for me. It's a sound that was unique to that moment of that day when I turned on my instruments. And it's something I can never recreate again on or off stage. This process started to influence how the rest of the band saw the track as well. And for Christian Lee, it was a chance to dive into this world of new sounds, drawing from the history of synthesizers and what they've always represented. You know, one of the things that I find interesting about working with synthesizers in particular is that synthesizers don't have a super long history, you know, like, and yet I think it's long enough that you can go back and listen to how synthesizers were used over the years from like their inception when they were just like these people were just having a blast with them you know just like what can this thing do and you know using them to replace orchestral instruments or just like really going for like some of the like most zany goofy sounds they could possibly find and I think we've lost some of that edge a little bit with a lot of things over time synthesizer aesthetics become standardized to some degree and like people sort of reach for the same sounds and I think going back to that history can actually like give you an idea of there's all these possible sounds and like these sounds that I would have just maybe not even given a second thought to, like people use them in really beautiful ways, even if they sound kind of goofy on their own or whatever. To sort of get a sense of how these instruments were used over the years, I think is really valuable now when you have a gajillion synthesizers available to you with a gajillion presets already designed by great sound designers just like well cool that's great but part of the fun is thinking about not just keeping those sounds within like this realm of acceptable polished sounds but like trying to push the boundaries in ways that are you know interesting or maybe a little bit dangerous you know and i think that was one of the fun parts about this song is just like trying to figure out all these things that would color the part in a different way and not necessarily trying to limit myself to like these like, you know, cool sounds, you know. 
After sketching out what each part could potentially sound like, it came time to start recording the live instruments in the band. During the drum recording session, Angelo Spampinato and Josh Bailey not only had to work out their individual parts, but also how each sonic element of their drum sets would combine in interesting ways. The kick drum and the snare pattern kind of is the foundation for the whole section, I guess for most of the song. I think I'm playing a clicky thing on the snare and Josh is doing some like percussive tambourine thing, accenting the time signature. And for this part, we were just trying to find timbres, like sounds that could mesh nice together. One person's on hi-hats and one person is on rims, which is pretty cool. Unison sounds cooler than split stuff. So even on the ticka ticka dun dun gum, he's doubling the little 30-second thing that I'm doing, which is killing. Like something nice about playing with two drummers is it can kind of sound, if you don't play drums, it might still sound like one drummer. So it gives it kind of like a produced effect while still being live, which is, I think is really cool. I think this section, this section has elements that kind of showcase that. This section of the song became a really unique groove that feels like it's repeating in an even way. But the phrase is made up of measures of 5-8, 3-16, 5-8, and then 2-4. What Angelo, Josh, and Julia Adami had to be really conscious of was to play a part that captured the essence of these odd meters without breaking the flow of the song. A common Turkish 11, it's quarter note, quarter note, dotted quarter note, quarter note, quarter note. So the uneven thing is smack in the middle, which makes it, you know, like those words you can spell forwards and backwards, it's the same. It's kind of the same vibe. So what that does is it like has an anchor point in the middle of something. It's still a pattern. But like if you zoom out a little bit from the subdivision or the like 16th note or the smallest thing you're counting and look at it as like little chunks, little nuggets, there's still a larger pattern. And if you can find that, then a non-musician feels it the same way you would feel you know what I mean? Because it's like this even thing with the snare in the middle. As long as you set it up in a way that doesn't beg the listener to try to figure out what it is, then they'll never try to figure out what it is. If we did do like if we did that, I'd be outlining the hard part. Instead, we're kind of ignoring it within the groove. If you can like tap out the rhythms, tap out the the melody rhythm without thinking about it, I think that's when a bunch of possibilities open up to you uh, musically. For me personally, I just prefer listening to things and learning them by ear as opposed to reading charts because I feel like my playing is a lot better when I'm not looking at a page. That's what I've that's what I've been doing most of my professional career, unless it's like something super last minute or something that's too complicated to memorize without enough time. Definitely with your music, I try to just have things internal and then by the time we're getting together to play it, just more more free with my playing. From a bass standpoint, it's kind of just like getting the groove right in all these like odd time signatures and making it feel even and natural, you know, and not trying to like over accent like any downbeats or whatever. It's, it's a simple 
kind of melody and moment, but and it's just I love the like major minor kind of shift. I think it's it's such a subtle but beautiful thing. It's a simple pattern on the surface, like in terms of like the amount of notes involved, in terms of like the logic of how it's written out. But there's a lot of like ways that you wrote in like really interesting harmonic color and progression into the part, despite it being very you know, simple and repetitive. And I think that to me is, you know, central conceit of this part. It's just like moving a couple notes here and there, every couple measures deliberately. And it's creating these like really beautiful, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle shifts in harmony without the need for like a big voicing, buttressing the part. You know, there's enough harmonic insinuation in the part itself that it carries a progression forward. It allows things like you have a minor third moving to a major third, which is a really bold decision. And I think it allows for harmony to progress in a way that feels at once horizontal and vertical, which strikes at the heart of harmony itself. You know, it's, it's a horizontal phenomenon. I love these kinds of parts because it feels like I can just jump into the harmonic river. The next section of the song changes completely in groove and vibe. The only thing that continues between both parts is the synth sequence, serving as a thread that ties these two fairly disconnected parts together. From a lush, multi-layered melody section, we go to this pretty angsty and dissonant piano solo part. So we set a rule that the main groove was just going to be do do cha cha gum then whatever cat do do cha cha um whatever cat and then we were both going to sporadically interject groupings of two thirty second notes on the snare and that was going to be like made up every take whatever it can be challenging to build a section when at the start of it you're already like pretty busy like pretty intense a lot of that has to do with the soloist, but also like what we're doing. So tried to, I think, pepper in a little bit more Tom stuff towards the end to make it feel a little more heavy. In my mind, I was kind of like channeling that same energy from, from the live ending of Ascent that we do. The trickiest part about recording this album in the way that we did, with all the instruments recording separately, was trying to create solo sections without having a soloist to play along to in real time. The rhythm section had to find a balance between supporting the future soloist while also expressing themselves and creating an arc to the entire section. It is always interesting recording a solo section without a soloist. (laughs) You know, you're just kind of like trying trying to interact in a way, but also not being able to fully <laughs> interact because the person you've no like I didn't hear what that sounded like until the record was done but <laughs> I think it I think it worked out pretty well in this case I think I wanted to make sure that it was solid and that there was a good I don't know there's some ideas in there that might inspire Christian or whoever was soloing 
that there's still like some kind of interactivity happening. That's the hardest thing I think to replicate in the studio is that like, sense of interacting if you're not playing live together. I think Angela and I knew Christian would probably go outside a little. I always imagine what whoever soloing goes really outside and it gets pretty dissonant and they're like two steps away and they bring it back in. I feel like they're doing that to like, they're separating themselves from the band sound in a way that's like hip and you're like, oh, you know what I mean? And also Christian, like he would probably hear what we're gonna do and the level of energy we're bringing, which simultaneously works really well with someone that's gonna like take it outside and kind of like stretch the harmonic choices. And for Christian, who plays an incredible piano solo in this section. It was about trying to be as creative as possible within the bounds of something fairly set by the time he received the track. Obviously, one of the advantages to you know improvising with other musicians whom you love and trust is that they can lob you ideas or they can help your ideas become better versions of themselves. And not having that sort of in-the-room spontaneity or energy does create a certain challenge, but I also think that if I'm given a track to improvise on, it's already set in stone. I think there are ways for me as an interpreter to enliven it a little bit for myself instead of, you know, expecting the same things that I would expect from live musicians. One of those things is that if I view the section as a sort of like room that I've walked into where there's like all these things sort of arranged and it's my job to sort of figure out what to do with these things that are in the room, how to make something interesting or how to walk around and find some hidden doors or hidden features that I can take advantage of as an improviser that I can latch onto and develop. Again, you miss that spontaneity, but at the same time, you also get to get really deep into some of these potentially interesting elements that are already there. So I think if I just approach it from that standpoint, my expectations right off the bat are different and then I can just have fun with it and I can just allow myself to be creative in this predetermined sandbox, you know. The piano solo is made up of a couple of different layers of Christian's playing. When he sent the track back to me after recording it at his place, he sent four alternate takes that I could choose from based on what I liked. What was difficult about that was that I liked all of them. So instead of picking one take, I decided to use all of them at the same time. Two of the takes became a bed for the solo, swelling in and out, providing a little harmonic ambience to the section. Over that is a take that functions more like a traditional solo, up front and center in the mix. Then in the spirit of leaning into the chaos of this section, I ran his solo through a few of my guitar pedals and reacted to his playing, turning knobs and settings on the pedals in real time as I re-recorded the track. The final result is this really wonky, chaotic, and beautiful piano solo that sounds like nothing I'd heard before. For a song that, you know, where you're soloing over one chord, I think there's a lot of different ways to approach it. And I think for me with this particular chord, it's all about sort of like what my perspective on this, what is a C-sharp minor chord? It's like sort of what my perspective is on this chord. I like these moments where you have simple element to work with because I get to just sort of think about how this chord and the way that it sits in the song strikes me emotionally. And then I get to look for the 
colors sort of in the constellation of this chord like that are just like one or two steps away from the sort of heart of the chord itself that I think can bring out that emotional quality of the chord that I am feeling. And so there were certain emotions that I think I associated with this section. You know, there's a certain sense of like veiled menace to this section, I think, that I really loved. And there was this a certain sense of like mysticism, I think, also to this section. For me, I think trying to find the best expression of that chord to bring out those musical qualities that you have already brought out in the way that you wrote the section, I think was the central challenge. And part of the way that I've practiced over the years is I've tried to come up with ways of having a perspective on a chord or a progression or a moment in a song and having the toolbox to bring out what I would hope would be, you know, an appropriate response to that section, whilst also staying true to some central truth about my own musical outlook and, and style and perspective. From starting out as a guitar idea that didn't seem to work with anything I wrote, in the end, and Culture became one of the most exciting songs to work on on this record. Letting go of the fear of writing music that I didn't know how to replicate live paved the way for me to create something new and brutally honest. The process of producing the song served as a reminder that recorded versions of music on an album can be a different art form than live versions of that music on stage. Finding and then capitalizing on that difference can lead to some really exciting things. We played in Culture Live at a show in August 2021, before the album came out, as a sort of trial to see how we were going to do this on the road in the future. In an effort to keep the set live and cohesive with the rest of the music, we chose not to use tracks, and instead we found a way to trigger the synth sequence using Josh's kick drum which opened up a whole new world of kick triggers and drum pad sounds that we're now slowly incorporating into our set. Writing and culture reminded me of what I love most about composing music for my band. From punk pop endings to modular synth sequences and to indie folk songs, I'm able to explore any style and any sound that I want without being burdened by genre or labels. The end result is music that still sounds like my past work, but it's always a little different. It'll always sound like me, but also hopefully capture the sound of my journey as a musician and as a person. I'm extremely grateful to all of my band members and everyone involved in shaping this album, allowing me to make the kind of music that I've always wanted to make. (laughs) ¶¶ 